Ambitions podcast. I'm Lizzie. Today I'm joined by Jared, and we are here to talk about the food industry and specifically the, the labour market. Yes. Thanks, Lizzie. Hello. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm excellent. All things considered. Yeah. Very challenging times. Absolutely. But it makes for yeah. interesting it's times. It's been a year. I know, I know. Or over and a year now. It seems like a lot less. It's just flown by. Obviously, we can't talk about the food industry or any industry without talking about COVID. So should we go there first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the food industry obviously classified as a, as a key uh, a key industry during COVID. So the importance of keeping that going was was really key yeah. during COVID. Yeah, they've all become key workers even yeah, on yeah, the front yeah. line. Yeah, my customers have to really step up to that challenge. How do they keep production at, at the levels of sustainable levels whilst keeping their workforce safe? So they've invested huge amounts of money in social distancing, in testing, in um, contact tracing, that the measures of additional transport. And I think they really showed very early on, out of necessity, they showed very early on a great response in order to keep those, keep those wheels turning. And like I say, it's at, at great expense. And I think there's some really good uh, case studies in terms of best practice. Yeah. So, so to, that is to their... To their merits. I think some of them even worked with the government on developing some of these yeah, systems, yeah. particularly relating to, the t- relating to the testing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, there's some really innovative stuff in terms of sustaining people, uh, enabling people to continue working despite having contact with uh, somebody with symptoms subject to daily testing. So not stuff that's been widely used, but yeah, they've worked with the government to, to enable that sort of stuff. So. And it's one of those industries where the employees perhaps haven't had the same accolades that others have had, you know, that such that work on the medical front line, but actually the food industry is so essential to to us all. And it's such a fast moving industry, as we know, things change not day by day, but hour by hour. Yeah, yeah. and I think there was concern at the start of this that we might see empty shelves and limited supplies. Well, we saw that with the panic buying. Yeah, yeah, toilet roll, certainly. <laughs> but I don't think that ever came to much, really. I think there was a lot of concern, but it never really came, and that's to their merit. But it's it's been challenging. And... Um, obviously, you can't talk about COVID without talking about furlough. I think the statistics were it's um, supported something like 11.4 million jobs or over 11 million jobs have yeah. benefited from the furlough scheme. And certainly some food food customers benefited from furlough, used furlough, but, but many continued, continued regardless. It was a bit of a split, really, because many customers who perhaps predominantly supply into the food service industry, so hotels, restaurants, schools, fast food restaurants, they would have been impacted early doors, certainly during all that when they, all those industries were closed. Yeah. But many of them supplying into retail, direct to customer, yeah. um, they were, you know, gung ho, just go crazy, 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 busy as anything. Yeah. So you sort of took from one side, but took yeah. it to the other. So yeah. actually balanced each other out. There was um, one interesting thing. There was an expectation that the furlough scheme and possible redundancies might have increased availability within the labour market. Mm. Locally, we don't seem to have seen that, and I think because. Uh, the East Midlands and particularly Lincolnshire, yeah. the East Midlands more widely, doesn't have many industries that have been impacted massively by redundancies and, and furlough. So in London, as an obvious example, there's hospitality, leisure, mm. uh, culture, all of whom have taken a real hit, yeah. you know, disproportionately yeah. so. The arts. The, absolutely, the arts. We don't have huge yeah. amount of, of, um, of that kind of industry in this area. So we've not seen people coming to us who are on furlough in great numbers. Yeah. You know, I, I'm aware of about four or five people mm. um, within one of our offices who've come to us on yeah. furlough. There, there may be more, but it's not huge volumes. Yeah, and I think what we've seen as well is some people that have been displaced have actually then gone into work related to the 
say the vaccine rollout yeah. or the testing centres. So they've been absorbed by that. It's challenging. I think people's expectations are that there would be labour abundance. Mm. But yeah, that's not not, not happened. To okay. Yeah. So how would you say the state of the labour market is generally at the moment? Okay, better than we would have expected, I think. There was predictions, obviously, that unemployment would rise dramatically. I think the furlough scheme was very effective at preventing that, mm. and that's to the government's credit. I think yeah. they've done a really good job. Mm. The latest figure, I think, 4.8% unemployment. I think there was predictions it was going to go to 5, 55 close to 6%. So we've done quite a good job in, in curtailing that. It's come at some cost. But relatively small cost because the cost of borrowing uh, is, is very very low for the government so why not throw money at it interestingly although there have been some rises in unemployment we've also seen some rises in the levels of people who are economically inactive so those people who for whatever reason are essentially choosing to take themselves out of the jobs market mm. and the latest move uh, or the latest statistics i think suggested that unemployment had risen by about 0.9 percentage mm. points and economic inactivity had also risen by about 0.7 percentage points. So there's just been a swing, give with one hand and take with the other. Yeah. So the net result is not a great deal of extra yeah. people available. Oh, well, that's good news. It is, absolutely. I can't complain because we don't want mass unemployment. But what it does result in, certainly locally, is a very, very tight labour market. Yeah, which we've been experiencing before COVID. I mean, we can't blame COVID for No, that. no, no. I think it's just exacerbated the issues. Yeah. Obviously, the food industry in the East Midlands has, for a number of years, been heavily reliant on migrant labour. Mm. And we'd already started to see, as you yeah. allude to, that's a long-term impact. Yeah. But COVID came along, we've had restrictions on travel, so mm. people getting in and out of the country yeah. or out. Because the deadline for the um, settlement scheme, but actually yeah. with the restrictions on travel... It's irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. We've still got a month and a half, as we record this, about a month and a half before the deadline. Yeah. But freedom of movement stopped at the beginning of the year. Yeah. There's, it's difficult to get accurate statistics because of the way that the ONS have changed their recording. But there's an estimation um, from um, from one organisation linked to the government, linked to the ONS, that suggests that as many as 1.3 million migrant workers have left the country in pretty much the last year. That was dated up to September. And do we know why that is? Well, I think d the suggestion is that hospitality industries have a very high reliance on migrant workers. Yeah. And those people may have been made redundant or furloughed and have chosen to go home. Why sit in a country, uh, you know, when you're isolated yeah. in your house and you can't go out, you can't see your friends and family, yeah. you can go home to, to wherever that may be. Now, worryingly, the 1.3 million is a massive number anyway, but the margin of error on that figure is half a million. So it could be as much as 1.8 million or as low as 800,000. So the answer is we don't really know. No, no, no. Inevitably, on a local level, we are experiencing labour shortages, it's yeah. fair to say. Yeah. Migrant labour is uh, at a much, much lower level than it has been previously. Yeah. We've always got a challenge of convincing local native British workers to take up work within the food industry. Yeah. It's always, for a long time now, not been a sexy industry. No. The lure of it mm. isn't very appealing. And I think the challenge, and we've spoken about this before, and the, what we're engaged in now and we need to do moving mm. forward is win the hearts and minds of those yeah. school and college leaders. Because the government's answer to employers' concern I think it was it was after Brexit, safe to say, to replace those lost yeah. was to look at the untapped pools of labour yeah. that there are in this country. Now, we're potentially, I mean, it's not been a good measure really of time because obviously COVID's been, unpredict, or, you know, it's been unprecedented yeah. and it was, no one was able to predict. Yeah. But 
What's your take on that? I think the one area where there is potential is in the youth unemployed, yeah. so 16 to 24s. I already talked about the, the economically inactive, and that's a big percentage of our workforce. But that includes students, they would be classed as economically inactive, but perhaps parents who are taking time to raise children, or people that just choose not to work, early retirees, so people yeah. that have retired at 50-odd. But I think they're going to be difficult to reach, those people, because they've made a decision that that's what they're going to do. And regardless of what industry you're in, mobilising those people will always be a challenge, because mm. they've, in the most part, they've made a decision not to work and not to claim. And they're in a position to be able to do that. So I think that will bear limited fruit. So you've almost got two factors there. You've got to motivate them back into the workplace, but then not only that, but to then motivate them to come into, as you say, one of the less sexy industries. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's quite a difficult hill to climb. Yeah. There's other potentially untapped resource around people who are distanced from the labour market, for example, people with disabilities, mm. where historically some of the food factories that would present a challenge for someone with disabilities for a variety of reasons so how can we make our places more accommodating Um, Mm -hmm. ex-offenders might be another one Um, you know getting encouraging those people reaching out to those so there there are untapped pools Uh, how quickly they can be mobilized in the face of a very sudden extreme we always knew this was coming but I think you're right COVID has has just brought it on yeah, accelerated it. Yeah, yeah. it's a change for employers way of thinking as well isn't it it's they've they're still some of them are still catching up with the with the idea that actually there there isn't an, an un, you know an unlimited labor pool they're having to sort of a, a readdress their way and be more open-minded about how they recruit and who they recruit yes, what yeah. do you think employers can be doing Okay, so you're absolutely right. They've benefited from this availability of labour for the last, well, 16, 16, 17 years. Mm. Um, And I think the key thing we need to think about is, number one, the overarching um, ambition for a food business should be to offer good employment opportunities. Now, what good looks like varies depending on where you're coming from. But it would be roles where there is consistent work available, year-round week in week out where you know you're going to be able to earn consistently regularly good yeah, money a level of security yeah absolutely security and that doesn't necessarily mean offering a good rate of pay i think people would take a lower pay rate over regular hours that's security particularly for native british workers yeah. perhaps if they're coming off benefits that step from benefits into employment can be yeah. very very challenging at the living wage yeah, yeah. possibility is increase your, your rates of pay i know there's talk going outside the food industry the construction industry are talking about having to increase rates of pay by about 10 percent mm. the risk with that is you're increasing uh for all your existing workforce and no material benefit potentially i don't know what the return just, would be I, on that. just at cost yeah, yeah just at cost once that 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 good employment opportunity also includes training progression um, long-term career prospects and I've quoted this this before I think in one of our previous podcasts and I'm going to misquote it because I can never remember it exactly but Richard Branson says something like train people well enough so that you give them the skills and they can go anywhere but you also train people enough and they won't want to leave yeah. and that's the key you risk losing some because you equip them with skills which become attractive to other employers mm-hmm. but because you've invested money in them over a long period of time they feel loyal to you and you'll benefit from that long yeah. term so it's boiling down to employee engagement yeah yeah ab- absolutely so so they're, they're the key things i think is about good good job prospects making yourself engagement. an employer of choice yeah 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 how do you uh, add a value proposition you know what's your proposition as employer to me as a potential worker yeah so it's that shift isn't it it's it's going from the employer 
being picky, who, who can I, who am I gonna recruit, who am I gonna choose? And it's that shift to how am I gonna entice people to work for me? Yes. And I think the sooner that businesses can do that, yeah. the more successful they're going to be. Yeah, yeah, those, those industries that are nimble, and that seems to be a bit of a yeah. buzzword at the moment. And people agile. often assume, yeah, agile, nimble, that implies a small business, but that doesn't necessarily need to be a small business. Any business can be nimble and agile, react quickly to what you're faced with, and if you react first, then you'll benefit the most from that.